Death Files. Yeah. Well, there we are then. That's uh, five, two new books for everybody to rush out and buy. Why are you going all Welsh? I don't you? know. It was <laughs> French was it French on back to back? Yes, it was. Mended Parisian. Oh yeah, don't no 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 please no more. Shuban. This is the West Wales, not back to back. That's true. <laughs> you know what we should do? Uh, talking about languages, we should have some BBC received pronunciation. Ooh. Yeah, because they the BBC sent an investigative journalist to Borley Church. Oh wow! Back in the nineteen seventies, in those days when they all wore tweeds and. Dicky Bows. Yes, and also bit like this. So we have a recording of that, which um, which I think might be rather fun to have it, a listen to. It's going to be. It's kind of spooky as well because you actually hear um, the ghost. Really. Mm. <gasps> so. Um, yeah. On the borders of the counties yeah. of Essex and Suffolk near Long Melford is the site of the most haunted house in England, Borley Rectory. Since it was built in 1863 by the Reverend H.D. Bull, it's been plagued with psychic happenings. And these events have been witnessed and experienced by more people than any other alleged haunted house anywhere in the world. The late Harry Price, a psychical researcher of some fame, undertook a painstaking and thorough investigation of Borley, witnessing many of the phenomena himself. This work is recorded in two of his books, the most haunted house in England, and the end of Borley Rectory. As a haunted house, Borley Rectory had everything. It was a gaunt Victorian building, which had been added to from time to time. Everyone who lived in the house, and literally hundreds of visitors, claimed that they felt, heard, or saw things which could not be explained by normal means. The catalogue of events is so varied, it covers almost the entire field of psychic happenings. They include the movement and sometimes materialization and disappearance of objects, the ringing of bells, despite the fact the wires had eventually been cut, the opening and closing of locked doors, inexplicable noises, and curiously, odors, sometimes pleasant, sometimes decidedly unpleasant, like the smell of decaying corpses. Many people claim to have seen a phantom coach and horses near the house, and probably the most famous ghost of all is the Borley Nun. Strangely enough, the destruction of the rectory was predicted in a seance, and in February 1939, the place was completely gutted by fire, which seemed to start spontaneously while the building was unoccupied. After the fire, Harry Price continued his investigation. He excavated the cellars, and here he unearthed part of the skull of a woman. Assuming that this belonged to the ghostly nun, he gave it a Christian burial at Liston Churchyard, and it was assumed that peace would reign over the troubled site. But did it? Geoffrey Groom Hollingsworth and Roy Potter do not believe that this is the case, and since March 1970 they've been investigating both Borley Church, which is also alleged to be haunted, and the site of the rectory. They're dedicated down-to-earth people who've spent hours and hours on the project, often during freezing weather conditions. They've also gone out of their way to fill in the biographies of the people who originally lived there. They were particularly interested in the members of the Bull family, and their investigation showed that previous biographers had not been very accurate with their facts. Uh, we decided the Bull family really had never really been delved into properly. When we say properly, 
Uh, various people have taken the both. I mean, got dates completely wrong, names completely wrong. Um, we decided that well, it would be well worth going to the history of the Bow family because they featured so prominently at Borley regarding their manifestations there. So, um, after travelling many hundreds of miles, viewing dozens of people, by sheer fluke, we bought a diary. Well, it was written by the eldest Bull girl, Caroline Sarah Elizabeth Bull. And of all the, the Bull girls, she was the only girl that married. And uh, she wrote this diary when she was 21 years of age. And uh, in 1885, the rectory was a very, very happy place. Although uh, Papa, in those days, knew all about the, uh, the nun and uh, used to sit many hours in, in the uh, summer house on the lawn. In fact, he erected it to watch the nun along the wall. Coming back to Caroline, yes. uh, is, is there any record of psychic happenings in the diary? Uh, we, uh, yes, she had a very, 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 very strong influence over moving chairs. Mind you, everybody we have interviewed uh, has said that the Bull family were not a strange family, they were a Victorian family, and what they said could be taken as absolute gospel truth. They weren't living in another world, they were down-to-earth people. Today, the villagers are reticent to talk about the happenings at Borley, and this is quite understandable. The publicity which followed Harry Price's investigations drew crowds of tourists to the area. Unfortunately, some of these people misbehave quite badly, causing damage to property and making life difficult for the residents. But the investigators did manage to gather some eyewitness reports. One man travelling home at night had a terrifying experience. He was coming on his motorbike and, uh, to his amazement, coming across the field, across the road, into the rectory grounds, a coach and horses uh, with a coachman on, uh, and uh, it passed. he went right through it, actually. He got a terrible cold sensation. But this experience was not unique, for during the last war, a soldier had an identical encounter. Apparently he also was on a motorbike as a dispatch rider, uh, and he didn't know anything at all about Borley. And he was coming up to Borley Church, up the hill, toward the rectory on the left and the church on the right, when to his amazement, just the same thing happened again. Uh, he saw this coach and horses coming along across the field uh, and passed right in front of him because he, he, he went right through it too. He disclosed it to his wife, but uh, he didn't like telling anybody else because he felt such, a, such an idiot. But then he did a bit of investigation. He asked uh, one or two villagers in Borley, this was during the wartime, and, uh, and they said, oh yes, uh, that's right, that's the coach and horses of Borley, and it's coming along the old uh, river road. Like many of the investigators before them, Potter and Groom Hollingsworth experienced a wealth of psychic events for which they have no rational explanation. The first thing we ever did come across there were the footsteps on the road. Past the, we where we were, we had the car parked, past the church gate, they got in, up to about in line with the church cottage and then they ceased. We got, only got this twice, um, but it was definitely footsteps. Recording the supernatural can be a costly business, particularly if the spirit at the other end of the microphone doesn't seem to want to be taped. An expensive tape recorder was set up in the porch of Borley Church and left running unattended. After some minutes, there was a loud crash in the porch. The two volunteers keeping watch on the church were so frightened they daren't go forward to see what had happened. Instead, they asked for help via their walkie-talkies. By this time, I got in touch with Roy and he came along. And he said, well, come on, we'll get straight down to the porch. And of course, we went straight down to the porch. And to our dismay and horror, on the porch floor, uh, which is stone, worse luck for us, was our tape recorder, which was, uh, well, it was pretty well battered. And all the tape 
had come off the reels, it was all over the place. And we could never really account what happened, because there certainly wasn't anybody knocking about. Since the demolition of the rectory, an orchard has been planted on the site. But this doesn't seem to have removed the cause of the hauntings, for a wide variety of noises have been heard there, including raps, a panting dog, the sound of smashing crockery, and heavy furniture being moved about. And it was here that the investigators had a very odd experience indeed. And here again, it was moonlight. The funny thing is that most of the times things have happened at Borley, where there's been a full moon. Uh, this time we were in the garden of the bungalow. Uh, there's a small fence which runs along by the side of the bungalow, which separates the ground of the bungalow from where the rectory was. We were stood there, very, very quiet, and all of a sudden we heard this thudding in the rectory grounds. It was kind of thud, thud, thud. And a most peculiar sound which we couldn't account for at all. And then we saw the, the fruit trees are growing actually where the rectory stood. The fruit trees, the branches of the fruit trees moved. Uh, and there was no wind at all. It was absolutely still. But the most remarkable thing of this uh, was that something came to the fence and it was an almighty thump. And that's the only time I've ever seen my colleague Roy here step back. At first, we, we thought it might be some animal or wildlife that was moving about, so we, we threw stones in the, in the vicinity of the sound in case it was an animal, hoping it would scurry away, but this didn't perturb it at all. It just carried on in the general direction towards the fence. And then, as it came towards the tree, this tree seemed to shake about a bit. So we looked down to see if anything was down there, we saw nothing, and then there was this great big bang on the fence, and that is when I stepped back, thinking, what is it, is something going to come over? Yet we saw nothing at all. Oh, uh, another, another peculiar thing. Now, this wasn't full moon. This was, uh, it was misty. It was a very misty night. Uh, this was somewhere about three o'clock in the morning, and we were all concentrating on the London's walk. When all of a sudden we heard voices, I should say girls' voices and men's voices, and there was laughter and merriment. But somehow, we didn't think much of the time, and in fact, one uh, of the team said, oh, God, there's somebody coming to the roadway at three o'clock in the morning. So with that, we went down towards the roadway, and there wasn't anybody about on the road whatsoever. And when I walked towards the hedge, bordering the road, the voices seemed to be concentrating on the hedge, just like coming along. But um, this is the tragedy. This happened the week after we'd had that incident with the tape recorder in the church porch, and we hadn't got any tape recorder with us. Um, and then these voices carried on, carried on. They, they were very, what, clear. very, very clear. So much so, Roy wasn't at all satisfied about this. Oh, he said, there must be somebody down the road. So he got in his car, and he coasted, I didn't put the engine on, he coasted down the hill. He stayed down there and got his walkie-talkie out and said, there's nobody down here whatsoever. There's nobody along the Long Melford Road. I quite believe this because it's three o'clock in the morning. We thought it might be somebody coming home from a dance. You know, we yeah. thought with the sound of travel perhaps from the Long Melford Road across the river, and that, that would be... Anyway, we weren't really satisfied with this. We then tried the following visit. We tried an experiment out. And this time, we got two of the team to go down on the Long Melford Road and to shout to see whether we could really hear them. But we couldn't hear them at all. Another strange thing we had only once was the smell, wasn't it? Oh, yes. It was, a very, it was very windy. It was, it was about, what, um, 11 o'clock, wasn't it? 11 o'clock before midnight. And it was only confined to a 10-foot square. And you'd yes. think that if you stepped out of this 10-foot area, with the wind blowing, you'd smell it. But you could corner this square off by with four of us, 
and it was only in this particular well, square you could smell it. Well, I was still don't know what it was. Now here is a description of the sighting of a ghost by these two men. This sighting lasted over 12 minutes. It was no mere fleeting impression, no imagination. This really happened. They actually saw the ghost of the Borley Nun. Listen now as Geoffrey Groom Hollingsworth takes up the story. I was stood in one corner of their garden, looking down towards where the nuns walk started. The night was rather chilly, but I felt exceptionally cold, and I got a queer sensation. And I happened to look down to the corner, the opposite corner of the garden from where I was stood, and I saw this figure approaching. I couldn't discern what it was properly. And then I could see it was definitely somebody with a cowl and habit. Well, I thought now, you know, it's somebody pulling my leg over, you know, and all of a sudden this figure seemed to glide across their garden. Well, I was still rather skeptical until it came to the fence and the hedge which, uh, which borders their garden. And then it went through there without making any noise whatsoever. So I thought, well, now, the nearest one I can call to here and get here as quick as possible would be Roy, who was on the road. So I contacted Roy. In the meantime, the figure turned round, came back again, crossed the garden, and disappeared through the garage that they have. And I thought, oh, good God, it's too late. He won't see anything, because that'll probably be the finish. The figure then came out from the garage and came with about 12 feet off me. I was able to observe uh, the figure properly, which was a nun in a habit, but the habit was grey. Uh, the face, from what I could see, wasn't of a young novice, as people previously said before. I would say a woman somewhere in the 60s. And Roy must have seen exactly the same thing, because he stopped absolutely dead. And then the nun went through the hedge again. He then came quietly and joined me, and we managed to climb over and follow her, keeping about 12 feet behind. And this was the most interesting point here, because when she had crossed this hedge, she then came across a ditch the uh, owner of this rectory cottage had dug. There was no water in it. Uh, there was a plank by the means you could get across. Uh, she went across there, just as though the whole thing was filled in. Well, Roy and I managed to scramble over the, 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 the plank that was there. We then kept her within sight of about 12 feet, and then she disappeared through a pile of bricks that this man had got in the back of the garden, all stacked up about 15 foot high. She disappeared through there, and that was the last I saw of her. Well, were you frightened when you saw this ghost? Well, no. <laughs> uh, neither was I frightened. I, I will say this, that uh, I'm not bragging about this, but uh, I don't think there's anything to be afraid of in this... Uh, because, well, in this instance, I didn't feel any, any kind of animosity or any... Uh, it, was a, it was a sensation, very cold sensation, but it was peaceful. It was tranquil. But uh, Roy here isn't afraid of anything. I think he's less afraid than I am. After listening to a description like that one, we had to admit we felt very sceptical about the whole thing. Were these men pulling our legs? Or did these things actually happen? The only way to get an answer was to join them on their next visit to Borley. We decided to arrive just before midnight, not because this is supposed to be a bewitching hour, but to offset the chance of other people being in the area who might disturb us. We selected the church for our first investigation, and before doing anything else, we searched the building thoroughly. Now we're just going into the vestry. No, there's nobody here. That's a cupboard. That's locked. There's certainly no 
human being in the church. We've searched the entire church now. After this, we placed a cassette recorder by the altar. And then, two of us took up station in a pew at the opposite end of the church and instructed the others to lock us in. It was an eerie experience, and there certainly were some odd sounds generated, including loud and small raps. During our vigil, we'd heard an odd sort of bump sound originating near the altar. This was picked up by the recorder at that end of the building, and was so strange, we've repeated it three times for you to hear. So as to be absolutely certain that none of the team were in any way responsible for these sounds, we then locked two cassette machines into the church. One by the altar, and the other at the opposite end of the building, by the main door. And then we sealed the church, and kept a watch around it for the next half an hour. It was during this period, the ghost decided to make its presence known. And to our utter astonishment, we recorded the sound of it opening a door. But a door which doesn't exist. It's interesting to note that the cassette machine placed by the main door picked up this sound as well, but at a much fainter level. And so we had a pretty good idea of where it had originated. It was obvious that the noise couldn't have come from the main door to the church, and so we immediately paid attention to the only other door in the building, the chancel door. The noises that we picked up on the previous recording seem to have come from this door. It's got a curtain over it. doesn't look as though it's been moved. Now, can you try sliding that bolt back to see what sound it makes? It doesn't squeak. By now, our opinion of the haunting had changed considerably. And the following week, we returned to Borley Church to continue the investigation. We entered the building at about half past twelve but the atmosphere within seemed quite normal. So normal, in fact, that we remarked about it, and the first half-hour's recording proved to be negative. For the second session, we set up a semi-professional stereo tape recorder with two high-quality microphones, one of which was placed near the altar and the other about halfway down the aisle in the centre of the building. And in addition, a cassette machine was also set up by the altar. Having thoroughly searched the building, we started the machines running and locked them in. And as we did so, we felt a change in the atmosphere. One of the team said he felt as though he's being watched by somebody, and we all felt cold. This run proved to be very interesting, for after a few minutes, the microphone placed in the centre of the church picked up a clatter, as though some object had been thrown down near it. For some reason, which we cannot explain, a considerable amount of static seemed to be generated just before and during the sound. A few minutes later, the recorder began to pick up static again. And then there were the faint sounds of something moving about in the vicinity of the altar.
next sound was quite unexpected, and it sent a chill through our marrows. For the microphone in the centre of the church picked up quite clearly what obviously is a human sigh. This is so remarkable, we've repeated it three times at a slightly slower speed. The humming in the background is the fans of electric heaters warming the building. During the following session, the cassette recorder jammed completely, and somehow the tape was pulled out and strewn about all over the altar. It seemed as though this was an indication that our presence was resented, and as we feared that damage might occur to the tape machine, we packed it away and left a replacement cassette machine by the altar. This was not a top quality product and it tended to pick up the sound of its own motors running. Nevertheless, it recorded some very strange sounds. First of all, there was a sort of whirring noise. We thought that perhaps this sound might have been made by some animal. There didn't seem to be any other explanation for it. But the next one ruled that theory out. At about a quarter to four in the morning, we recorded the sound of the door being opened again. Although this was similar to the previous one, it lacked the squeak of the bolt. After this, we decided to break the sequence of visits and to try again during the summer. We wanted to check to see if the warm, dry conditions had any effect on the haunting. For security reasons, we kept the date of our visit a secret. And as an additional safeguard, we changed our minds a couple of times, finally setting off in July. It was a very dark evening, but warm enough for us not to have to wear top coats. We started recording at about 1am, and the tapes revealed just the natural ambience of the building and nothing else. There was not a single click or rap audible. But as we entered the church at about a quarter to two, we all felt a change in the atmosphere. It's hard to describe the sensation. Some of us felt tingles running through our bodies. Others claimed they felt there was a presence in the building. We certainly felt that the next session would produce a result. And it did. It started with the sounds of movement somewhere near the altar. This was followed by the sound of a door shutting, but once again a door which doesn't exist. After this, there was about ten minutes silence, when only the natural ambience of the building and the cassette recorder motor could be heard. And then, there was a crash, as though something had been knocked over. Then we became aware of an increase in the background noise on the tape, and another strange sound occurred. It ended with a kind of pop. This was followed by a much louder pop or explosion. We've amplified this and repeated it three times. 
The following sound occurred ten minutes later, and it really sent shivers down our spines. It was the sort of effect one imagines haunted houses to produce. It originated just in front of the altar rail, and yet the floor there is of stone. If those were footsteps, they must have belonged to a very large and powerful man. Eight minutes later, there was another sound generated, but we have no idea what it represents. We returned to the church the following August, and during the small hours of the morning, we all observed a glow around the chancel door, as though a phosphorescent aura were being generated. This night, the ghost made its presence known by producing some more sounds, which ended with a very frightening grunt or sigh. Listen as this sigh is repeated. For the fifth visit, we decide to man the church throughout the entire night. On previous occasions, we seem to get the best results by leaving the equipment locked into the empty building. We'd thought that perhaps the human presence had some adverse effect on conditions. At about half past four in the morning, three of the team kept a vigil from the choir stalls adjacent to the altar, and this proved to be a memorable and frightening occasion. Once again, the church became cold, despite the fact it was a warm summer's night. There were numerous clicks and raps from the vicinity of the font, and at one time we heard a sound as though heavy timbers were being crushed, but in the darkness we couldn't see what was happening. Then. We began to observe tiny points of light hovering in the curtain behind the font and on one of the pews about a quarter of the way down the church. At first, we thought we couldn't believe our own eyes and we broke the silence to speak about it. I think I must be getting tired of that. I keep seeing things. And Jerry, are you watching Peter the big curtain? I might have, yeah. The first one on the curtain. the pews, the first few pews. Yes, that's where I'm seeing them. That's why the floor lights up the floor as well. The main one is up in the curtain. Hey? On the right-hand side, right in the curtain. They're tiny specks, aren't they? They're like, yeah. as you say, they're all like fireflies. Oh, yeah. What's it name? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Very curious, isn't it? Yeah. Yes, there's one up here again then. Yeah. No, you're not seeing things, Peter. The three of us can see them, so... It obviously exists, whatever it is, a strange phenomena. 
They are just like little white points of light flashing. Because it was my eyes going funny. After a while, the lights began to approach us, and we all felt apprehensive. We were locked into the building, and we knew that there were no other human beings inside with us. As we watched the lights, they changed into long strips. And then, something threw an object at us. It's a strip this time, isn't it? It's a strip. Now, that was fantastic. We've no idea what that was. It certainly made all of us jump. It's curious that that seems to have been tied up, but you're getting colder and colder. It's like a build-up of power. It's very cold in the church now. Very cold indeed. Top of my head's gone quite cold now. Honestly, I think if I had hair up there, it would be standing on end. Immediately after this, we conducted yet another painstaking and thorough search of the church, but we could find nothing to account for the incident. There doesn't seem to be any evidence that whatever produced those sounds was trying to communicate directly with us, although it might be argued that the throwing of that object and the violent attack on the tape recorder left in the porch indicate that perhaps somebody or something resents the presence of investigators. Perhaps we shall never know the answer. But one thing is certain, for despite exorcism attempts, seances, and the burial of that skull fragment, something remains. And although the rectory is no longer there, the surrounding area can still be called the most haunted site in England. Listen online at purewestradio.com. Scary. Well, spooky, wasn't it? It was scary. I but, you know, that. from the sublime to the... Oh. Oh. From the sublime <laughs> to the completely ridiculous. And it gives me an opportunity to do yet another accent. Oh, my God. No, 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 no. Because no, this, no, no. this is actually a, a series from a colleague in, in North America um, who's an investigator. Um, he sent me this recording of a series of phone calls that were left on the group's answer phone from um, a rather distressed family. Does this mean you're going to do an American accent? Hey, y'all, no. <laughs> I don't need to. This is, this, this is an example of the other end of the spectrum of paranormal investigation. Oh, dear. All I'm going to say is... Oh, what is that noise? I don't know. <laughs> Ooh, is there anybody there? Anyway, anyway, have a listen yeah. to, the, to the ghost <laughs> sandwich. Uh, yeah, so, well, it'll stop the whole thing. Yeah, sandwich. Okay, if Americans yeah. know what sandwiches are, it'll be a different word for them, probably. I, mean, like, I don't know. Let's listen. Sidewalk, yeah, just fanny. Listen. And, just, let's listen. Okay. Ready? Twelve messages. Message one. How you doing? Uh, once again, this is Kevin Cargill. Got here about uh, two times before. I'm still having problems with the ghost. He's uh, he's starting to get hostile. Um, yesterday I came to the house and my cat was slashed across the belly, and I had to take him to the vet. I think it was the, from the bayonet of the soldier. I know he's a ghost, but he seems like he's trying to do his harm. Right now he's sitting on a 
sofa looking at me. A cold stare. He's going to the kitchen right now. I hope somebody will do something about this. I've called two times before and nobody seems to be returning my call. He's been on the porch, in the bathroom, in the living room, in the basement, in my car, out the shed, in the yard, in the driveway, in other people's driveways, the closet, in my closet, my coat rack. He's been everywhere. Once again, it's Kenku. I've called two weeks prior. He's not talking yet, but he's staring me down. He seems like he wants to do some harm. I don't know if it's normal for a ghost to wave at you. 5.30 a.m. Saturday. Message 2. I'm calling again, it's Kenneth Kirk. Uh, having more problems with this ghost. Um, he's around even when I have the lights on. And when I turn the lights off, he seems to like it more. Um, yesterday, um, yesterday he also uh, tried to light a campfire in my house. Um, luckily I caught him. He's been pretty good with the kids. Doesn't seem to cause any problems. They like him. But uh, my little girl is kind of attached to him, and she don't want him to go, but I do. I don't know if there's anything you can do. I know you take tours around Gettysburg, but this is a matter in my house. I've called paranormal experts and they don't want to help. Uh, he's staring me down, he's sitting in the chair still. Uh, he's pointing over to the mirror, but I don't know why. Once again, he kind of looks like Robert E. Lee, maybe Ulysses Grant, with the side of uh, General Pickett. Uh, he looks pretty mean right now. 5.33 a.m. Saturday. Message 3. Uh, I'm just following up my son's call. He called here uh, not too long ago. He's been calling the last two weeks. Uh, I live with him, and I can vouch for his uh, seeing of his ghost. Uh, it's... He walks around in his kitchen, he walks around the bathroom, he walks everywhere. He's outside and he's inside. The kids really do like him. Um, I sleep in the guest room and he seems to visit me very often. And I don't know why. But if you would please take my son's call seriously, I would much appreciate it. Um, my number is 717. Seven eight one five five two zero. Uh, this ghost seems to be very mobile. He sometimes 
too mobile. He tries climbing things he shouldn't climb. He jumped on top of my office desk, knocked down all the pencils and pens I had in a little container. There was ink all over the floor and on my pillow. Please take my son's word for granted. There really is a ghost in his house that is really freaking us out. I don't know what you guys can do about it. I don't know if you have one of those toasters like they do on Ghostbusters. We gotta get rid of this guy. He's ruining our lives. Help me. Help him. Help my family. This guy's for real. Oh, here he comes. Five thirty six a.m. Saturday. Message four. Hello, everybody. Um, when I received your call, I've been using my son's phone. Uh, he packed up, went to college. Uh, it goes still in my residence. Um, I was taking a bath today, and. He was in the bathroom. I um, went outside then, did some, did some uh, errands, walked in town, and uh, he followed me. I don't know what's going on, but I can tell you one thing. This guy means business. He's carrying a rifle with a bayonet attached to it. A pack of hard tack, a canteen, and he keeps whipping around his Confederate belt. And this started to kick me off and all my family. He's been in my kitchen. He's been in my front yard. He's been in town. He's been in my bathroom. He's been in my living room. He's been in my closet. He's been in my garage. He's been in my shed. He's been in my head. He's been in my bed. Enough said. I cannot believe what is going on here. He's probably tracking our call right now. He's winking at me. I think he's got a horse, because I keep hearing clickety-clack outside every night. 4.03 a.m. Sunday. Message 5. Hey, um, this is, uh, this is actually the, uh, owner of the cell phone. Uh, my name is Zach. Um, my grandpa has been calling, uh, your place because he claims to, uh, be seeing a ghost. I can vouch for some of the paranormal stuff going on in our house. Yesterday, uh, somebody made a pot of coffee, uh, and um, I, none of us, none of us that I know of, made it. And it's it's getting really weird here, man. And uh, somebody needs to do something about it. Um, apparently, my grandfather has seen him. I mean, all over the place. He's saying he's all in the yard, etc. Um, I personally haven't haven't experienced anything other than the coffee. Um, 
mean, it was some of the best. We actually drank it with some of the best coffee we ever had, but, but honestly, we, we have no clue how in the hell it got there. And um, apparently he brewed it at night. My grandpa said he saw him brew it, and um, that was it. I can't, apparently my grandpa's here right now, and he says he's staring right at me, but I can't see a damn thing. And apparently this thing has a horse, too, and uh, he hears the clickety-clack or something like that outside, but I don't hear a damn thing. So, I mean, we got to get somebody on top of this here because my grandpa, just he's, he's going nuts. And it's getting pretty scary, I'm not going to lie. I keep one eye open when I go to sleep. Oh my goodness! Oh my goodness, the chair just moved! Oh my! Dad, Dad, you getting this on tape? Oh my! 4.06 a.m. Sunday. Message 6. Uh, I just want to tell you, um. 4.09 a.m. Sunday. Message seven. Uh, calling. This is Kurt. Um, he's still here, and uh, seems like he's getting more and more comfortable as the days go by. Now he's walking around in nothing but some undergarments. He stuck his hand in my toaster the other day. Didn't seem to really bother him. And then he started sticking metal objects in my toaster, and it. It's short-circuited. Not sure what the nature of this guy is, but one thing's for sure. It's creepy. His horse has been parked outside for the last half hour. Uh, it's like something from Sleepy Hollow. I packed some lunch meat for my boy in sandwich today. And before my boy could take it to school, well, the ghost took it and he ate it in front of all of us. And we couldn't do a damn thing. I tried grabbing the sandwich from him, but the sandwich turned into a ghost, too. Oh, but damn, that was the hardest sandwich I've ever had to get a hold of. It's like it didn't even exist. Once he ate the sandwich, you'd think it would just fall right out of his belly because he's a ghost. That wasn't the case with this. The sandwich turned into a ghost, too. So now we're dealing with a ghostly sandwich. The sandwich started to take a human form. He scurried across the floor about half an hour. 6.04 a.m. Monday. Message 8. This damn sandwich is on the loose. As soon as this goddamn guy, this revolutionary, or I don't know, Civil War guy, this ghost is going to run around my house. As soon as he ate that sandwich of my son, that turned into a ghost, and now that thing's running around. He's got two little legs. Little beady eyes, and he's running around causing havoc. He's starting to shove himself with every little electrical thing here, 
It's starting to cause short circuits. There's fires. And then yesterday, the little sandwich went down the drain and tried to clog it. <laughs> it was the intent that makes sense. Not only that, he jumped in my car when I tried to start this morning. He jumped into the air vent. <laughs> and now I got crumbs all over the place. <laughs>
brand new carpet. And uh, he didn't clean it up. He just sat there. 6.54 a.m. Wednesday. Message 11. Hi there. That's it. Oh. Did I, uh, did I mention that I have uh, a couple of new books out at the moment that are available on Amazon? Funnily enough, no, you didn't. Well, I am now. Well, go on then. Okay, there's a couple of new books well, available on Amazon. what are they called? Amazon. Oh, right. Um, yeah, sorry. I better pick them up and have a look. Yeah, don't show them to the crowd because they're not here. No. Using equipment guidance notes for investigators of apparitions, hauntings, poltergeist and similar fun... <laughs> Should we take? Should we do take two? Yeah, should we do take two? Yeah, Go guidance on. notes for investigators of apparitions, hauntings, poltergeists, and similar phenomena. Published by the Society for Psychical Research. You can either go to www.spr.ac.uk, click in the bookstore link, or it's available from Amazon. The other one is the Redoubtable Ghostology Revised Edition. Well, these books are actually standard. Uh, required re- coursework reading for uh, students. Ah. Uh, Ghostology, The Art of the Ghost Hunter, also available on Amazon. Amazon. Look for the one with the blue cover. The blue cover. Do you know, you're having problems talking about your books and we've been doing it all the way through the show. <laughs> it's a British thing. We, we have a, a modesty issue, don't we? No, you don't. Yeah. If you go on a radio show in America, it's like they introduce themselves as author and paranormal investigator. And you find out that they've self-published something in crayon. Or, yeah. <laughs> in crayon? Yeah. Well, at least yours isn't in crayon. I should do a book called The Ghost Sandwich. That was hysterical. Hysterical? Hysterical. Well,
come and move that in my direction So thankful for that, it's such a blessing, yeah Turn every situation into heaven, yeah Oh, you are My sunrise on the darkest day Got me feeling some kind of way Make me wanna savor every moment Slowly, slowly You fit me, telling me love how you put it on Got the only key, know how to turn it on The way you nibble on my ear, the only words I wanna hear Baby, take it slow so we can last long Tú eres el imán y yo soy el metal Me voy acercando y voy armando el plan Solo con pensarlo se acelera el pulso Oh yeah Ya, ya me está gustando más de lo normal Todos mis sentidos van pidiendo más Esto hay que tomarlo sin ningún apuro Despacito Quiero respirar tu cuello despacito Deja que te diga cosas al oído Para que te perdes si no estás conmigo Despacito Quiero desnudarte a besos despacito Firmo en las paredes de tu laberinto Y hacer de tu cuerpo todo un manuscrito Pasito a pasito, suave, suavecito Nos vamos pegando poquito a poquito Y es que esa belleza es un rompecabezas Pero para montarlo aquí tengo la pieza, oye Despacito Quiero respirar tu cuello despacito Deja que te diga cosas al oído Para que te acuerdes si no estás conmigo Despacito Quiero desnudarte a besos despacito Firmo en las paredes de tu laberinto Cerré tu cuerpo todo un manuscrito This is how we do it down in Puerto Rico I just wanna hear you screaming Ay bendito I can go forever cuando esté contigo Follow Pure West Radio on Facebook. Search for Pure West Radio. Listen live at purewestradio.com.